welcome to the F3 Gateway Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sexy Dad, and I'm so glad you're listening today. This episode is brought to you by no one, because the podcast is completely free, just like one of our workouts. Head over to F3Nation.com to find a location near you. Welcome, everybody. On today's call, we have four hymns joining me, Unitard, Honeypot, Shortcake, and Samsonite. Uh, gentlemen, why don't you go ahead and say hi real quick. Unitard. How's it going? Honeypot. Hey, everybody. Shortcake. Hello, hello. And Samsonite. How's it going? So, gentlemen, we're here today to talk about health and nutrition. And let me start off by saying that we are not professionals. We're just five guys having a good talk about the things that we've gathered over the years. And actually, some of us are professionals, but we'll get into that a little bit later. And for those of you on the phone and those F3 brothers out there, we talk about something called the daily red pill. You take that red pill and get out there in the gloom and do a hard workout. It's not the easy route. It's not hitting the snooze button or forgetting to pack a lunch and going through a drive-through. It's the harder route, getting up at 4.30, 5 o'clock to make it out there for that 5.30 workout. And we call that workout or that daily discipline of physical training of the body the king. And the king is nothing without its queen. And the queen is the daily discipline over what you put in your body. So if you want to have a kingdom, you need a king and a queen. And so we take that daily red, red pill, and, and I see many men pushing themselves out in the gloom, putting on weighted vests or doing more reps or, do, or running faster. But that, that first red pill, that's the hardest. It was in fitness when all of us came out there. But it's also something that we have to do with our health and nutrition, We got to take that daily red pill. And when we're not around our brothers out there pushing us and pushing us to do that extra rep or run a little faster, when we leave the gloom, you know, we need that as well, that accountability. So coming, so moving into that accountability for the queen, the daily discipline over what we put in our body. Let's start off by discussing, can a good exercise routine overcome a bad diet? What do you guys think? I'll go first at shortcake. And, and I'll say a, a thousand times no. <laughs> um, <laughs> bit of background. I've been in sort of the health and fitness game for quite, quite some time, 20 plus years at this point, And you absolutely cannot. I'll find oftentimes the fitness portion is very easy for some folks, right? For some, not for everybody, but for some. Uh, I'll, but the nutrition component of that pairing that healthy nutrition, healthy living, uh, what you eat, ultimately what goes in your mouth is, is much, much harder. Because if we think about it real quickly, you might spend uh, what, three to five hours out in the gloom working out. And then you've got how many other hours in the week, right? If you think about it, even if it's once a day, an hour a day uh, of regular exercise, there's 23 hours of it, you know, and you know, left in the day or, or whatever you might have sleep um, that you still kind of have the effects of nutrition. So I'll stop there, but yeah, ultimately it's a, it's a big no for me. 
I would I want to echo that and I want to echo one specific portion of that too, right? Is that you definitely can't overcome uh, and this is Samsonite, you definitely can't overcome a bad diet. But one of the biggest traps that I found in my entire life is that you believe that you can overcome an okay diet, right? Mm. And like even still, that that is a is a brutal trap to live within, right? You can sustain and maintain an okay level of fitness, an okay level of health, but but never really improve upon it when you know your 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 nutrition is mediocre at best. And this isn't saying in a world where you have to live, you know. Uh, purest vegan lifestyle, right? This is, this is simply just saying at a mediocre one, right? If you're not really putting nutrition first and you keep thinking that your physical fitness is what's keeping you afloat, right? It is a, it is a trap. You can never, never out King the queen. Yeah. This is unitard here. I also would have a hard no on this. I think a lot of times we tend to look at fitness and, and we get like focused on weight, I think. I think that causes a lot of people to think of, you know, the two primary ways that you lose or, or maintain weight, which is your diet and your exercise. And, and sometimes it's just like you pick one to focus on. But looking at it that way, I've never found to be successful with, with myself or with anybody I've known. If you look at fitness as that thing that fuels your ability to be fit, uh, I'm sorry, diet is your uh, is the thing that fuels your ability to be fit and that can actually improve you know, your, your workout or your king to me makes a lot more sense than just trying to pick one or the other. Honeypot here. You know, again, I'll just echo it. I love the saying, you can't outwork your fork. Uh, it's very hard to uh, overcome a bad diet. And I think one of the problems we have today is that we just have incredibly calorie dense, but nutrient poor food and relatively small amounts of highly processed food contain immense amounts of calories that I think people often don't realize and they don't realize just how much they're consuming of, of, of useless calories. And I, I think the other thing too is it's only been perhaps in the last century that we've had the luxury as a species to not be starving. I mean, I think we spent the first million or whatever years uh, hoping we weren't going to starve to death and our genes evolved to try to uh, protect us from that, to try to conserve and minimize energy expenditure. And now in a time of abundance, the system doesn't work well. I mean, it's very easy to put on weight. And also, I think not only just from an athletic standpoint, but just from health in general. I mean, you look at all the major diseases. A hundred years ago, people died in this country of tuberculosis and, and other infectious diseases and trauma. And now people die of chronic diseases, of heart disease, cancer, dementia, diabetes, etc., which are all predominantly diet into a lesser extent uh, exercise related. But yeah, I mean, the whole core, you're not going to be healthy with an unhealthy diet. And I especially like to reiterate that, reiterate that idea that even an okay diet is not great. And, you know, there's been a number of studies that have been done where they've shown that people overestimate the quality of their diet. Uh-oh. I think we lost Honey Pot. She may have gone. I think as he was kind of getting ready to, to take off or, or um, that last point, I, I wanted to just maybe put a little bit of a finer point on the fact that, you know, we really need, you know, we really overestimate how much we eat. And, and obviously when we're thinking about nutrition, um, there's a lot of, there's, there's, there's gotta be context, right? Cause everybody has nutrition comes with a lot of things, right? You've got to find a goal, whether it's 
strictly performance-based or weight loss. But if we think about it through a weight loss lens, because so much of nutrition is, there is studies done that, and I think this may be where he was going, that we as a species will tend to overestimate how many calories we eat by a large margin. And even those of us that are trained in nutrition still have a tendency to do so. There was a, a study of uh, dietitians who I believe overestimated the amount of calories over a course of whatever the period of time was that they tracked those calories were, but to the tune of like 40%, right? So you, if, you're, if you're thinking about needing to be in a deficit for weight loss and you're, uh, you really just have a poor ability like we all do, then it's, it's a pretty tough go uh of doing something like that so yeah and this is sam snyder right and i don't know how many of you gentlemen right uh, are are in the weight struggle category but i've struggled with it since since as long as i can remember right ever since i was a small child and the the i am not an expert in nutrition as far as or i'm not uh certified in anything but i've spent a lifetime right trying to figure it out and i've gone through so many successes and failures right? Just, just trying to figure out the right queen. And uh, my recent, right, my most recent, uh, uh, so just a, a quick background story, right? During COVID, uh, my weight, my, my nutrition, my fitness was all good, right? Like I said, right, having an okay, mediocre, I was maintaining, I was, I was getting to, the, I was exercising, I was, I was uh, eating okay. But then I said, right, I'm not leaving or going anywhere. Can I, can I do more? right? And, and I started weighing all of my food, right? And that was the very first time that I was ever like, wow, this is what a tablespoon of peanut butter looks like, right? And if you went out and saw, you went out and polled 100 people to actually go look at that, right? You would be surprised with probably how few people could actually discern what a tablespoon of anything looks like. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll so, comment on that. Guys, I got to come out and say it. I have a pizza addiction. I've had it forever. I've I've had it forever. It's my kryptonite. It's the thing that shows up at eight o'clock at night. We've already eaten dinner, and my stomach growls, and I've got the I've got the pizza app open, and I'm battling inside my head. Uh, do I order or do I not? And it's so easy. It's so easy. I think like Honeypot was saying, it's only been within the, the last century that we've had so much food available. And I have a stat here. In 1870, 80% of Americans pop, American population farmed. And now, I think it's only like 2% of the population farms for all of, all of our population. And nowadays, the thing that always gets me Food is so accessible. I mean, we literally take 10 steps out of the house, jump in the car, go through a drive-through, exchange $6 for 1,500 calories. I mean, it's just, it's unreal to me just how available things are. And that for me, that is the hardest thing is that it's everywhere. The, you know, the neon signs and the, and the drive-through windows and the accessibility, that's the hardest thing for me to kind of push past is that convenience when you had a hard day at work or, or you had a hard, uh, hard morning and you just want to get out of the office and get some food. I struggle with that completely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Right. And, and this, this country, right. Uh, uh, this country very specifically is built around excess like that. Right. Uh, that's, it's constantly driving you towards all of those things. And, uh, and, and, 
more so in a habit, right, versus an actual uh, need or desire, right? Uh, it is it is simply your your brain's trigger to that neon light for a cheeseburger versus actually being hungry for a cheeseburger in any capacity. And I think another part along those lines is that you know you're up against a multi-billion-dollar food industry mm-hmm. that you know spends a huge amount of R and D dollars figuring out how to hook you not only on the commercials but sugar, salt, and fat, and all the the mouth feel. I mean the the way like everybody loves a you know a nice gooey uh, chocolate chip cookie and the way you know some of it melts in the front of your mouth and some melts in the back and on and on that's all not just by chance I mean they spent a lot of time figuring that out I remember uh, what was it Lay's potato chips years ago had the uh, uh, tagline bet you can't eat just one and they were right you can't eat just one but they spent probably several hundred million dollars figuring out how to do this as individuals, we're up against a, a Goliath. You know, they, they, they often win, unfortunately. Well, and to go back to what you said earlier, Honeypot, about huge amounts of calories, but small amounts of nutrients. Um, I think a big part of it is because we are so starved of the nutrients that we're perpetually hungry. Um, yes. And when we, when we have those easy access foods like the pizza or the drive through or whatever, that can pile those calories on without really giving our body what, our body actually needs, we're going to be hungry again before it really should be, which is why like the most effective thing I've found is to focus on adding in the good stuff, like adding in the nutrients that you do need to kind of crowd out the crap that, that none of us do need. That's been a kind of a sustainable long-term kind of strategy that I found to be effective. You know, something I'll add to that is I, I think there's a misconception that cooking takes longer than going out through a drive-thru. I, I think there's a misconception because through COVID, we, we really had to dial in on cooking at home because we weren't going out sitting in restaurants or even going through drive throughs We were holed up here in the house and really dug into cooking. And, it, and there are ways to cook foods or prep some food so that you can prepare a meal quickly. You can have things that you can heat up or you can have uh, rice already made that you can make a rice bowl out of, cut up some peppers and onions and, and super quick 15 minute meal. But I think there's, I think there's a big misconception that the fast food is the fastest food because you got to get out, you got to get out of the house, you got to drive through there, you got to wait in line and then you get the food quickly between the order and the window, but then you got to go home. You know, or you pay a premium to have it delivered to your house and then you're spending triple of what you really could spend for some some more quality uh, ingredients that you could cook at home. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. Your thoughts around that. Yeah, I will say, right. I just thinking about it as fast versus slow. Right. I, I look at it as as what you what you crave and, and desire. Right. In some of those cases where like the same as same as your, your statement about COVID. Right. I found. I found cooking a lot more. I found things that uh, that like, hey, I have eight leftover ingredients in my fridge, and I'm just going to put them in a bowl and microwave them, <laughs> and that turns right. into a meal. Is far more uh, far more convenient than yeah, going out and, and getting something from from a drive-through space. But the quality, right over over it, I, I think it, in so many spaces it is really about like what your desire is versus what you're willing to put in for it. You know what I mean? And it's not necessarily about the time commitment. It's not a laziness factor, but it's a factor of 
I don't want to do anything myself. This is super convenient and easy, and it makes me feel good after I do it. Maybe for a short term, but it's it's a it's a repetition, that habit, more than it is the uh, the convenience. I would just say I think you know one thing that I think I would underscore for for guys in particular is just is get in the kitchen, like yeah. kind of period, full stop, right? I know you know, and there's a lot of guys that just I think are kind of afraid or or don't want to. You know, they'll, they'll let their spouse or their M kind of pick up that ball. But for me, it's, it's as much kind of leading my household by being in the kitchen and kind of preparing healthy foods for my family um, as it is to run the finances or whatever else is it, you know, that you kind of do, uh, you know, as you kind of find as your, as your role in the house, right? So I would just challenge guys, you know, get in the kitchen and experiment, right? And start where you're comfortable. Would imagine that of the five, five of us on the phone that, you know, there's at least three of us that consider us to be pretty, you know, pretty dang good over a grill, right? And a grill is a great place to start, man. I mean, yeah, obviously watch the uh, the beers consumed or whatever you prefer in, in terms of that. But, you know, get outside of the grill, man. Grill some chicken breast, you know, learn how to smoke pork butt. You know, great opportunity to, to get some solid protein in and pair that with a simple vegetable on the side. So to your point of, and I can't remember who it was, but mentioned, you know, your, your tablespoon of peanut butter. But, you know, you start to kind of use some of those implements that you use to cook your tablespoons, your measuring cups. I mean, those are obviously key things that helps just learn sort of what your portion sizes are. So that's a huge point for, I, I think guys in particular or can be. And one thing too, there's a lot of great cookbooks out there. I mean, you know, with Amazon and whatnot, that you just go to Amazon and put in like 15 minute meals or 30 minute meals or something. I think sometimes people are intimidated, like, well, I, you know, quote unquote, don't know how to cook. The bottom line is if you know how to read, you can cook. And yeah, certainly some things can be very elaborate and take all day in the kitchen, but there's a lot of really very tasty, healthy things that can be whipped up um, very quickly. And there's a, you know, a lot of cookbooks out there that cater to that, knowing that people just don't have the time or inclination to spend you know hour and a half every night cooking. Again, it's, it's really just about getting some information. And, and again, you, know, you don't even probably need to buy a cookbook. You could just uh, Google and get a lot of recipes too. So there's, there's a, a never ending amount of information out there to help people. Yeah. I'll add to that, uh, honeypot that <clears throat> we found a, a YouTube a channel called pro home cooks, pro home cooks. I'll say it twice. And I highly recommend it for people. It's, it's around making, becoming that pro home cook at home to shortcakes point but also giving you some of those basic tools, not necessarily knife skills, like how to chop things perfectly, but how to take what you have in your fridge and turn it into, say, a stir fry. You know, you can put anything in a stir fry. You can take any leftovers and make it into a stir fry. And who doesn't like stir fry? I mean, everybody loves stir fry. And how to make some of the basic things if you want to get adventurous, like uh, chicken stock or beef stock, or, which is really simple to make. Or how to, how to break down a whole chicken and get all those cuts of meat instead of maybe a piece of meat that might see a lot of processing uh, if you're into that. Or if you just want to try it and get two breasts and two thighs and two legs and two wings for the price of a, a single chicken breast that you would get at the store. So Pro Home Cooks, I highly recommend that. You know, and one other thing to get a little off topic is I think it's a wonderful thing, especially for your children. If you if space allows to have a little garden, 
every summer. And again, it doesn't have to be some monstrosity, even just a, you know, an eight by eight raised bed garden. I think it's uh, something so satisfying about literally going out and picking peppers and squash or tomatoes and bringing them in and, uh, and cooking them right up, eating them, you know, within an hour of when they've been cooked. And quite frankly, it's kind of scary how many kids today, like you said, nobody lives on a farm. I mean, how many kids really don't quite understand where food comes from? You know, it's just they kind of take it for granted. You know, you ask kids today, where do you get your food from? Um, it comes from the grocery store. And they haven't right. really made the next connection. So that's a nice little fun thing you can do. And actually, uh, um, the price of food today, you know, a couple tomato plants can um, create a pretty good amount of tomatoes and peppers and squash and all that, you know, definitely cost effective. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. And I think, I think Honeypot, you and I were talking about this the other day. My wife and I have tried gardening for the past couple of years, and we are terrible at it. And, and I think we were going about it the wrong way, but we were trying, you know, trying to, we were like, we're going to grow some things this year. You know, we grew our cucumbers or zucchini. They were like the size of the width of a table. Cause we didn't, we didn't harvest them the right time. And we, we had tons of plants die, but what, what we've kind of honed into on talking about that, that home garden that honeypot was bringing up is we identified through cooking and through what we were using at home, what are the, like the top things that we would want to grow to relieve some of the cost at the store and, and give us those, those fresh ingredients that we want instead of what we were doing where we just picked some seeds that we thought would be cool to grow and, and we went more of the useful route. And that's been a lot more effective because it's actually things that we're going to use regularly. So we find ourselves out there in the garden a little more, kind of doing a little more work. Cool. One book I'd recommend along those lines, talking about cookbooks, a great book for beginning gardeners is Square Foot Gardener. And uh, he basically starts right from the beginning. It's all about raised beds, but it's, it's, it's built, it is designed for the person who knows nothing about gardening or just wants to put in a couple raised beds and I mean, he talks about the soil, the fertilizer. I mean, everything you need is in that book and, uh, you know, laid out for the beginning gardener. So again, Square Foot Gardener is a great place to start. Any other thoughts on gardens? Shortcake, are you a gardener? So I am, not currently. Uh, we moved a couple of years back and I, I'll be honest, I have not yet had the uh, had it in me to break up my beautiful backyard <laughs> and put in a garden. But uh, but yeah, no, our old house, I did. I gardened for a couple of years. Um, you know, I, I, one thing for me, like it was like for me, it's kind of a nostalgia thing. My uh, my I grew up, my grandfather down in Kentucky gardened his entire life. I remember being a kid walking out into his backyard that was literally his entire backyard was a garden. We'd go back mm-hmm. there and pull sweet potatoes out of the ground. I mean, you name it, I think he had it back there. For me, it's it's almost you know it's it's uh, you know brings back just a ton of memories. But um, yeah, you know, some, definitely something in the future. But I, yeah, and to Honeypot's point, man, I, I think I think it's just it's just cool. I mean, and it's a great way to teach, great way to kind of uh, bring up the younger generation so that they understand and have a little bit of a connection to the food and to the things that they put in their mouth. So yeah, I think I noticed. It's funny, you know, COVID was such an uncertain time, but one thing was certain people were kind of scared, I think. And I saw gardens popping up left and right in my neighborhood, people converting some of their backyards and doing that. It's it's interesting what motivates, you know, you to like into that place of survival 
you know, how do we harness that feeling with our nutrition? You know, and, and I'm kind of rolling into accountability here to talk about accountability. We're out in the 5.30 in the morning. We're very good at that, most of us, getting out there and working out. How do we translate that accountability after the gloom when we don't have that group of guys around us cheering us on and helping us make the right choices or push that next rep? You know, how do we do that? Being on a podcast later that night helps. <laughs> I was at the grocery store today and I was like, oh man, I, I could go for that Snickers bar, but they know. You know, I got to tell you, uh, when I when I hear that question, uh, it, uh, I don't know the answer to that, right? And I think about it all the time because I'll tell you, I got no problems talking to as many people as I can find about my uh, habits related to fitness. But mm. I... I shy away and hide from the dialogue about my struggles with diet nutrition. And I don't know why, right? It's not like I'm, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know why I shy away from it, but it, it, and it's, it's not a unique thing, right? Not, not one person is uh, subject to it, uh, but, but it's, I'll tell you, it's one of the hardest struggles to hold both myself accountable and to ask someone else to do it. I appreciate the uh, vulnerability, Samson. I, I can say you're you're not alone. I can find myself doing the same thing. And uh, to me, just kind of analyzing it, I think it's because first time we went out in the gloom to do that 5.30 workout, I'm sure we all remember it. Somebody invited us out and boy, we didn't know what we were getting into, right? It was a, probably a hard workout. It was either cold or hot or you know, outdoor 24 seven, we work out and we decided that that's what we needed to do. And then we keep coming back, you know, and I think, I think nutrition and, and health and, and that piece of it, I think that we, we got to take that first step. And I don't know what that is for each person. It's different probably for each person, but you got to take a step 1% each day towards that goal and figure out how to hold yourself accountable. And maybe Shortcake or Honeypot have some thoughts on, you know, how do we, how do we do that? How do we establish some accountability for ourselves? Things that we can measure against. Yeah, I mean, I can jump in. So there's a lot to unpack on the accountability side, quite frankly. One thing you need to probably do first off is really just take a little bit of a step back and, and understand where you are. Uh, whether that's season of life, um, age, what, whatever it may be, right? Because it has such an impact on, you know, sort of setting a goal, you know, if it's a nutrition-related goal, and then being accountable to it, right? Um, I mean, I'll be quite honest, using my own self as an example, 40 years old, we got three kids, ton of activities. Like, we just, we literally have stuff going on almost every night of the week, and life is chaotic. Like, it's a point in time in my life where I've just had to sort of really just do what I can do and be okay with that. Kind of bringing that back to accountability. For me, I mean, I've got a pretty good, easy way to kind of get my, myself back to, to, uh, to, to sort of healthy eating. I think for, for most people, it's really just finding somebody that you can lean on and tell them what you're looking to accomplish and then having them check in with you regularly. As we kind of think about it in the F3 culture, right? It's, you know, one of the easiest places for folks to probably find that accountability is within a, a shield lock or a couple of guys that you're pretty tight with, you know, whether you're, you're going to beat towns with them on a regular basis. 
in my mind, I think one of those things is you, you've got to be vulnerable to your point earlier and uh, you've got to be able to kind of open up to somebody and then they really need to be able to, you need to be okay with them holding you accountable to, to doing what you told them you want to do. When I, you know, I think there's several aspects of that. I mean, I think one of the first ones is for people to kind of have their why, and we all may have a different one. You know, your dad may have died at 50 of a heart attack or, you know, I thought of, you know, sad story of a overweight man who said he used to have his neighbor play catch with his son because he was too heavy to be able to throw a ball in the backyard and he finally was mm-hmm. like, um, enough is enough so I think sometimes you have to have that that why and I think you know look closer to home you know one of the best accountability partners can be your your spouse and you know sometimes I find as a physician when I talk to people about nutrition unfortunately it seems to go more the other way around women are I have generally found as a, a group more open to changing their diet and they're like well my husband i can tell you right now he's not changing i think having some accountability if you and your spouse are on the same page can be really helpful and then like i said you know i think you're exactly right moving out to the shield locks your f3 friends and and also i i think you know for some people professional help you know a, a, a you know nutritionist a health coach you know depending on how you know obviously there's a cost involved there but actually getting some professional uh, training, you know, some of these people do motivational interviewing and, you know, hold you accountable and say, okay, you know, we're going to talk in two weeks and et cetera, et cetera. So I think that um, there are, there's many different layers. And then I think, unfortunately, a couple other problems on the negative side is that, um, you know, weight control and nutrition is such a difficult thing in that, you know, if you think about exercise and you go do your 45 minutes in the morning and you're done for most people, you know, maybe take a walk in the afternoon. And likewise, let's say you have a, a problem with drugs or alcohol well you know if you have the strength and all the wherewithal you can say you know i am just not drinking anymore i am not doing drugs anymore and you can put a you know a a red line in the sand and say this is it i I don't do it the trouble with food is that it can't say i'm not eating anymore and so you kind of are constantly this balance of you know you need to eat but you don't want to eat too much and there's so many different varieties of food out there good and bad so it's a very complicated thing and then i think the last part to kind of come full circle is there's a lot of saboteurs out there for whatever reason they don't oh you're that health nut you eat healthy or you know ah, come on come out with the guys and have a pizza or something like that and you know it's interesting i'm thinking about a patient of mine who um uh she uh actually uh came in to see me and she was uh, had lost weight and looked great and i said what's up and she goes well and she said oh and by the way i've uh i've also quit drinking and i i said oh um I didn't know you had a problem. And she goes, well, I didn't know I have a problem. But as you know, I'm divorced. I'm in my 40s. And I hang out with a bunch of 40-year-old divorced women. And interestingly, when I told them that I just decided I was not going to drink anymore, I, I got absolutely no support. It was like, oh, what's wrong with you? Come on. You're no fun. You know, and I think sometimes you get that with friends who, uh, you know, want you to kind of go out and, you know, go and eat pizza and whatnot. So, Part of it is I, I think sometimes it's just trying to, you know, find the people around you or they're going to support you and, and maybe, uh, you know, keep an arm's length from the people that intentionally or unknowingly are kind of sabotaging your, um, your uh, uh, efforts. Hey, honey, honey, pot, that's such a great, such a great one is the saboteur, the saboteurs. Um, and I, I don't remember who it was, but I heard this from somebody, you know, at, at some point in time across my career, but those saboteurs will try and drag you down because when you're making those choices to improve yourself, it gives them such a reflection 
and of their own sort of failings that they can't or don't or won't uh, <laughs> make those changes that they, the only thing they can do is try and tear you down and kind of bring you down to their level. So great point. It's, it's so true. And it makes it tough, man. People definitely, you, you, sometimes you've got to stand really tall, especially when you've got a group of friends or maybe people that you think are your friends at the time um, that are, that are trying to kind of sabotage what you're trying to do when you're trying to make some positive steps forward. So, you know, one of the, the, the terms that just drives me crazy is when people say, Oh, you're a health nut. <laughs> You're, yep. what, are you a disease nut? I mean, <laughs> you're a health nut. I mean, it, it's such a derogatory term. It's like I mean, people make fun of you because you're trying to be healthy. But again, they don't want to look in the mirror and say, gee, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not kind of doing it here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's a, man, there's a lot of good nuggets there. Honey pot and shortcake. Some, a piece that I pulled out was, to find that, you know, maybe even someone at home, your spouse, your partner or whoever, someone close that you can maybe just start with a conversation and then figure it out from there. And I was talking about my pizza addiction jokingly, but it's true. I am addicted. My wife and I did this thing. She just threw out an idea. She said, what if we don't eat after seven? You know, what if we just made like a simple rule? Seven comes, you can drink water, whatever, but you don't, you don't eat after seven. Well, I hadn't ordered any pizzas in like a few weeks. It was just a simple rule that we decided to enact for us that worked for us. And we stopped ordering food in, you know, when it was late. And that was really helpful. So I thought about that. And then the second thing I thought about was they say that you are a conglomerate of the five people closest around you. So if you think about the five closest people to you and the habits that you have and the things that are important to you, it's likely that you are, you are somewhere in the mix of all those things, whether it be health, finances, fitness, whatever. So uh, doing that reflection, like you mentioned, shortcake and honey pot, that reflection of those folks close to you and do they really hold the same ideals of what you wanted to achieve and, and do in your life. And do they, do they help uh, take you that 1% closer to what you're trying to do? Yeah. I think there's a lot of good stuff there. As I, when you talked about the not eating after seven, I was brought back to my, uh, my wrestling coach in college was uh, he's like a 50 year old man at the time. And he could go with us like with, and he, he'd actually beat the tar out of us sometimes because he was much better wrestler than we were, but, but he was in like ridiculously good shape. And when you'd ask him, like Timmy, how do you, how do you how do you look and, and you know wrestle like this when you're 50? That's what he said. He said, "I don't eat after 8:30." That was like the number one thing that he, you know, <laughs> that, he, that he used. Um, so, because I, I do think there's you know there's there's a lot of bad choices that you make when you're you know when you're up at night and uh, when your body doesn't really have a chance to process the stuff that you put in it. But I think like making simple rules, like you're saying at home, you know, with your spouse or with your you know the people that you're closest to. You know, whether it's we don't eat after seven or like it's it's not a dinner if there's not a vegetable on it, you know, like having those kind of regular expectations with the people that you spend your time with, that's going to be the, the, the big difference, I think. Yeah, I think when I hear about those things, too, when I hear about just like habits, uh, some of the some of the learnings that I've discovered over, again, both successes and failures in this uh, through many times is that. You have to, they have to be incremental change too, right? 
because as soon as you start making aggressive change too short to immediate right your your opportunity for failure dramatically increases long-term failure right the opportunity to yo-yo happens so frequently simply because you took on these aggressive approaches you were very successful in a short period of time but in a long term it's very challenging to keep up those same aggressive approaches where if you can incrementally change lifestyle parts right that's that's going to help you in the much longer term right picking one habit or one change that you can you can really uh, hone in on and, and create a good habit in and making more and more of those over a longer period of time versus just diving right into something immediately, right? And like you're saying, don't eat after 7 p.m. That's just one rule, right? It doesn't say don't eat pizza, don't eat after 7 p.m. and stop drinking beer every forever, right? It's it's one thing at a time, right? And so I think that right. a lot of times people get hung up uh, on the nutrition side of like, I'm I'm eating healthy starting right now forever, right? And that's a that's a hard way to maintain for a long period of time. Well, that's why I don't think diets work. I think diets are, are kind of programmed to fail because, you know, like you're saying, and Shortcake, maybe you can uh, add a, an expert's opinion on this, but, um, you know, you go on some kind of diet and it deprives your body of a particular nutrient. And because that changes your metabolism, like it, it, it works. It, it makes you lose weight in the short term. But you... Like you're looking at it as something that you're deprived of and long term that can't be sustainable, you know. So I mean I've seen family members and friends go on these, you know, really hardcore diets and, and it, you know, their their weight yo yo's it's it's down and it's back up when they can't sustain that. So I think um kind of a better philosophy toward eating in terms of, you know, like what does our body actually need and what are those incremental changes, like you said, that we can that we can make that are realistic to fit within our schedule that aren't gonna require me to completely change every single thing that I do right now. I took a health coach coaching program and um, it was actually called Healthy Steps Nutrition. And one of the things they talked about is exactly that, that um, and they, I forget the exact numbers, but it was something like if you ask someone to do one thing, um, they have like an 80 something percent chance that they'll succeed. If you ask them to do two things at the same time, it's like 50 percent. And at three times, it's down to like 20 or 25 percent. And they're like, you know, if you come up to someone who's, you know, got uh, a number of issues be like, okay, I don't want you to eat after 7.30 and I want you to do this and I want you to do that and I want you to do that. They're just going to sit there and shake their head and go, yep, 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 yep. And they won't do any of it. But if you just say, okay, all they want you to do is nothing else, but don't eat after 7.30. That's it. And they said, one of your goals should be that your clients should say to you, that's it. That's all you want me to do. And then, you know, in two weeks when you talk again, you say, okay, how did you do? Well, I did pretty well on that. Okay, now keep doing that. And now I want you to whatever, you know, eat a better breakfast or something. And they said, your chances of success are so much higher when you just kind of chip away. And I think the one other part of it, too, is I think human nature is, you know, just like we know with our kids. If you tell your kids not to do something, the first thing they're going to do is probably go do it. And so denying <laughs> people things just will not work. And I, I have found you're much better off when saying, look, I, you know, I, I don't like the food you eat, but less, not so much have you stop eating that, but promise me, like somebody said, a vegetable with every meal or something along those lines, or, you know, instead of something like that, you're going to add in good food. And then the hope is that over time, that part of your plate gets bigger and the less desirable part gets smaller. 
so again, but everything's got to be incremental. And I, I think that's probably a mistake when I send my patients off sometimes to the hospital dietitian, you know, they come back with this laundry list and I can tell they're just absolutely overwhelmed. There's just too much they're trying to tell them to do and they don't do any of it. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about the, the exercise part of it, you know, nobody probably told any of us, Hey, what I want you to do to get healthier is to stop sleeping between four forty-five and seven thirty AM. You know, like just cut that out. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was it was add in something good during that time. And yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. Have you have you guys read the book Atomic Habits or heard of it at least? Heard of it, yeah. I've heard yep. of it, yeah. And what we're talking about is building good habits. And I like uh, Honeypot, what you shared about the statistics of success by doing one thing versus two versus three. And Atomic Habits, what he ta- what he says is Say you have, say you want to be a runner and there's all different types of steps to building a running habit. First, you have to be able to wake up in the morning to go for that run. Second, you got to put on your running clothes, shoes and shorts and shirt, whatever it is for the season. Then you got to get out the door. Then you have to actually run and you got to run for a certain amount of time or whatever the routine is. And then you got to come back and you got to get a shower and get ready for work and do it. You know, so there's all these steps. Well, in atomic habits, what they talk about is that if you break down all those, all those things that you need to do and you try to improve them all by like 1% of those things. So you might be doing some things really great and you might be doing some things not so great. Well, if you take one of those things and you try and improve it just 1% or a little percent, and then you keep doing that and building that strong habit, you're going to have, you're going to be a lot of percent better through that whole habit by approving these little, these, these little increments of the habit along the way. So maybe you're getting better shoes or, um, you know, you first waking up. So you're doing a consistent week of getting up uh, at five o'clock or whatever it is. And I heard of an account where the first step for somebody to go to the gym, this gentleman that was extremely overweight all his only requirement was to go to the gym spend five minutes there and go home and i know that sounds so silly it sounds so silly but you're building the habit of going to the gym and if you went and if and if he was to go to the gym and do a really really hard workout or if we were to take a week and buy all you know whole foods and come home and cook every single meal we're probably going to get burnt out you know, probably going to get burnt out on that. It's too extreme. Yeah. So I, I'd want to jump in a little. I mean, so man, ton of, ton of stuff. We could kind of go down a rabbit hole on habits. Cause it's, I mean, it like really, if, if you sort of boil down anything from the nutrition and or fitness realms, you know, in terms of trying to improve those, those two pieces of your life, it's, it's all about habits. I mean, that's, that's really what it is. You've got to create those habits. Um, so, you know, to, to sort of dovetail the point of your, your guy going to the gym for five minutes, right. As we sort of think about that, it's got, I mean, that's a, that's a matter of, of really reducing the motivation needed to kind of get there. Right. Cause it's easy when you first start a new habit, motivation's high, you're jacked, you're amped, you're ready to go. But if you're doing something, you know, let's say as we've all probably done it, you start something new, it's really great for the first couple of weeks, but like week three or week four, it's a freaking slog, man. Um, and so 
by reducing the motivation to the, you know, the need or the, the requirement to sort of jack up your motivation to get there. If you just say, listen, I only need to get there for five minutes, it makes it that much easier. So that's, it's a great point. Absolutely valid. Find ways to sort of minimize that barrier or whatever it is, minimize the sort of inertia, right? Cause once you get going, everybody knows you walk in the gym or you go to that beat down, even if you're just like, Hey, listen, I'm just going to go to the beat down. I'm going to take it easy. You're going to end up working a whole lot harder than what you probably plan. And the gentleman that's going to the gym will probably stay there for at least 20 minutes or 30 and get things done that he wasn't really planning on it, which is amazing to circle back to kind of on the, the dietary piece, the diet. And I think for me, it's kind of the what's next factor, right? I mean, diets are, diets kind of are what they are, right? They all work for a reason, but it's all because they're reducing calories in some way, shape or form, right? Whether it's cutting out carbohydrates, not eating after seven, right? The, the whole function of it is that it's, it's tricking you or finding a way for you to reduce your total calorie load and getting you into a calorie deficit, right? If it's a weight loss focus. And so you just need to understand that you, you can, you know, you can implement a diet and it may work for you, but then you've got to kind of figure out the what's next factor. Like, what are you going to do beyond that? Because if that's not a sustainable way of living forever, right? If you're never going to eat another carbohydrate, good luck with that, by the way, then if you aren't, then that's fine. Right. But if it's not sustainable and most aren't, that's really kind of the problem that starts to arise is then you got to figure out um, because like anything else, like uh, honeypot as the physician would tell you, if he gives somebody a medication that's treating a condition, the minute they go off that medication, if, they, if they've done nothing else, that condition is going to sort of rear its ugly head again, right? Whether it's diabetes or high blood pressure, same with your diet, right? If your diet is helping you maintain your weight, you stop using your diet, your intervention, then your weight's going to go back up because you're going to go back to eating the same stuff that you ate before. So, Yeah, I, I hear all that. And I, I think back to the, uh, the, the statements just around like trying to develop them in the forever sense too, right? Because you can't, uh, you can't, uh, like I said, you can't stop eating, right? So every habit you have to build around your nutrition has to be, has to be at least driving towards, right? Something that you can maintain and sustain forever. And I'll tell you, as a failure on this many times, right? I can tell you plenty of things uh, that don't work, right? That, that, uh, but yeah, absolutely. As soon as you build in a habit, that uh, is unsustainable, right? It, it automatically starts pushing you right back in the other direction. It never, it never works out in a way that says you're done and now just maintain forever. It always winds up pushing you back in the other direction. I read somewhere that they followed up years later on all the people who did the greatest, what was it called, the Biggest Loser, the TV show, and pretty much 100% of them regained the vast majority of their weight. After all that hard work, it basically was a total failure. And same kind of, I think that's kind of what you're getting to. It wasn't really a sustainable way to lose weight. To kind of uh, change the topic just a little bit, I, I've got something I want to open up here about things that we measure to determine, you know, our health. And, and one of those things is, is weight. And and boy, I've heard a, a lot of different things around weight. Uh, it's not a it's not a true measurement. How much of his muscle, how much is fat, you know, and BMI, you know, and talking about BMI and I've heard some arguments on both sides of the fence, but I just want to open it up on, you know, measuring your weight and, and maybe some of the, the things that you might feel from seeing that what the scale actually says versus where you want to be. And let's open up there and see, see where this heads. I'm going to share a small anecdote. 
just because it, 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 it's relevant to, to, to all of these points. Uh, so during COVID, right, uh, I, I weighed about 185 pounds. And BMI is a fun thing, right, because I've always heard the arguments, too, that it's not a great measurement and that it's not a poor measurement either. And the reality is it's probably somewhere in between, right? It's very, very infrequently is it going to measure somebody so terribly off from where they really are. But I said, okay, I want to get down to what's considered a normal BMI, which was 168 pounds. I had been there since I was, like, in high school. And so I built a whole bunch of unsustainable rules and treated it much like a science experiment. And in six weeks, I got there, no problem, right? And I, uh, I lived that, I, li I got down to about 160 pounds and lived that for almost an entire year. And now, shifting back to the, an the answer to your question, like, what kind of measurement is just a small one at 25 pounds? If you had to carry that around every day for the rest of your life, you're you're doing a disservice to your body simply carrying around extra weight like that, right? And utilizing weight as a measurement for health is is good to an extent, but isn't just the, the, the pure metric, right? Uh, everything else that's going inside your body around blood work and other other things that you do, but it's not it's not the wrong thing to measure either. No, I'll say it's it's one to your point, yeah, it's it's one piece of the puzzle, right? Uh, I mean, I think there's certainly value to it, but is it the only metric? Certainly not. I think the other thing, you know, I guess the the one thing that I would maybe sort of caution against is is there are some folks that are kind of the you know healthy at every size movement, which I think in my mind gets just to be a little bit of dangerous territory um, because there are certainly uh, and and to the points of, of BMI in particular, right. Um, yeah, BMI is kind of based on, on weight and, and muscle mass, but really at the end of the day, the tool is used as like mortality tables from the life insurance companies. Um, and so frankly, it's, it's really just, it's just that, right? It's, it's, it, if you take height and weight and put them together in that calculation that people that end up north of 30 simply have a higher likelihood of dying. And, and that's, there's really, you know, if you kind of look at it just for what it is, then that's kind of the tool it is, right? To, you know, to get tied up into whether or not it's a, it's a great tool for, you know, health and, and this and that it's um, you know, I think it can be kind of argued either way, but uh, it's, it's an interesting prospect, but it needs to, uh, you know, you need to kind of measure everything. And, and Honeypot probably certainly has better thoughts and probably more in tune thoughts on some of that, but obviously, you know, blood markers, other things that's going on. Um, it really needs to be looked at sort of on a collective basis, you know, rather than just sort of individually or one sort of focused metric. I, I would agree completely that, you know, the BMI, I think, does have value from, you know, a big epidemiologic standpoint. And obviously people always kind of bring up the straw man argument about, well, what about the 230-pound NFL running back who is, you know, technically obese, but, you know, they've got 3% body fat. And, yeah, we know those people exist. But for the general population, I, I think the BMI is not a bad measurement. But I think most importantly, it's kind of, you know, you against you. Wherever you start, it's kind of, it's where you end up. If your BMI is 32 and whatever you do, next thing you know, it's 28. You've obviously gone in the right direction. I think two other things, you know, and, and one other thing, you know, I, I agree with you looking at, cholesterol and things like that, your hemoglobin A1C, your fasting blood glucose, those can all be things that can show you that you're definitely heading in the right direction. But two simple ones that you can do at home and don't need any healthcare provider or whatever is one, 
is taking your measurements, your hip to waist ratio, you know, shoulders, thighs, arms. And then the second one, quite simply, is taking a picture. Have someone take a picture of you just in your short, um, you know, in you know, front, back, side. And then after, you know, three months or whatever term, take another picture. And that's probably one of the most telling thing. And in fact, for whatever reason, women tend to don't seem to drop weight as well as men. And, you know, they get very frustrated because the scale's not moving, but, but they've gone down two dress sizes or their hips are not as big or whatever. And same with men. So just measuring and pictures can actually be a very motivating way to kind of follow your weight. So it's interesting. One of the reasons I was excited about participating in this conversation was because I'm one of those guys that like, I have a friend that just looks at me like and shakes his head. He's like, you can eat whatever the hell you want. And you're never going to gain any weight. And, and that pisses him off. So I, I don't remember which kind of morph I am from the, uh, I guess I'm a mesomorph or an ectomorph. But I think there there can be that temptation to think that, well, because I'm not, you know, at the risk of gaining too much weight or being overweight, then I don't have to worry about nutrition which i think is you know a, a dangerous kind of line of thinking the the scale like i i was intimately you know in a, in a close relationship with the scale through my first uh 21 years of life or so i, I wrestled all the way through grade school and college and the first time i had to cut weight i had to, i had to lose 1.2 pounds when i was seven and i was 51.2 and uh and all the way up through college like i i would get on the scale and that's it's healthy because you can it's measurable, you know? So like when you set a goal the, the with my students, like they always set these goals that are like, well, I'm going to be a better student by the end of the year. Like, well, how the hell are you going to tell me that you're a better student? Like, what are the specifics? What are the measurables? So it's good in the sense that it provides you that easily measurable piece of data. But I, I think it's also dangerous to think that weight is the only thing when uh, the honeypot can tell you all kinds of other measurements that'll determine a person's health. You know, another thing that can be a trap and, I see this a lot in women is what they like to call skinny fat, where people who um, have very little muscle mass um, and because of that, they have a, um, a normal BMI and, uh, you know, they may even have a little bit of a belly on them, but because they have such little muscle mass, their BMI is less than 25. And you see this in a lot of elderly people, you know, I have some guy, you know, with a pretty good little belly on him say, I'm the same weight I was when I was in the army 50 years ago. And it's like, why well, don't you look like that when you were in the army? Quite so again, that's the trouble with the BMI. There are certainly some pitfalls in it. Yeah, this is all great discussion and something um, I've kind of journeyed through all these numbers that you guys talked about. The, the one thing I like about the scale is I can get on the scale. I can see a number whatever it is. And then I can look at my belly and go, is there fat here? You know, is there, do I have a belly or do I have love handles? And I can go, you know what? This number can go down a little bit. Definitely had something to lose there. That's the one thing I like about the scale. I think my favorite thing though is uh, measurements because you can track the, if you're exercising, you can see uh, your muscles growing um, with those measurements and your waist shrinking or your, you know, you, you can see some of that, that movement and know that things are moving in the right direction locally somewhere on your body. And then I also think BMI is a good number, is a good thing to keep an eye on too because it, it just shows that there's strain being put on the heart. That's the best way that I've heard it described is that you're putting stress on your, your heart um, and on your, on your body by you know, being out of proportion, if you will. Um, but if you put them all together, 
and, and from what everybody's shared, I see just, just just these little touch points on on how you can maybe pick one of these and start assessing kind of where you're at, and then and then rolling back to what we were talking about about taking that first step. You can pick that first piece to take a step, you know, forward on, you know, whatever that may be. Any, uh, any burning things that you guys have been thinking about this week, preparing for today's discussion, anything that's kind of been uh, on the top of your thoughts? I think it's, it's helpful just to have some practical strategies in mind that, that are sustainable. So like when I think about, you know, I, I read about portion control, you know, which I think is a, a key thing, you know, just simple things like every, every one of us is going to go to a restaurant at some point and, and we know that it's much harder to track what we're eating there. But just like when you go to a restaurant, just having the idea in mind that when I come out of here, I'm going to take part of my plate with me. I'm taking, I'm taking food home with me. I'm not going to eat, you know, this, this bowl of, of pasta or whatever that they're going to put in front of me. I think little simple, you know, just strategies like that can be helpful for folks to, to incorporate. I, I love that. And it made me think uh, a close friend of mine, that's exactly how he eats lunch. He only eats 50% of his lunch, whatever he orders. <laughs> mm-hmm. He always does it. And it drove me nuts to see him order a sandwich and some chips. And, and you know, he would roll up that half bag of chips and, and roll up the sandwich and put it back in the fridge. And, he, and he'd eat it the next day. You know, he just, that was his mentality and he stuck to it. And it was effective for him. Are there any other kind of tips like that that you guys have kind of collected, you know, along the way on your guys's journey? I'll say this, right. That, that, uh, you know, and I just recently read this and, and I, I even, uh, I queued this morning and I, it was part of my COT, uh, that, uh, success is not only, uh, the peaks that you reach, but the valleys that you conquer. Right. And I think that there are plenty of people out there that are going to listen to this, uh, that are that have have gone through success and failure with their nutrition, with their flavor. That, that every time I know that I've been, I've learned something. I may not be executing it right now, but I've learned something that I know that works, right? And it's finding my way back to any one of those things that will help me get back to the next to the to the peak, right? And and in all of them, right? I, I always try and make sure that you know, you know. <laughs> you might fall off the wagon a little, but just don't fall off the rails entirely, right? And like the simple concept of just being able to, again, not just be so discouraged by any one particular failure that you can still find your way back to a success. Yeah, I like I like that. I mean, you know, imagine if we were successful in everything. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's impossible. <laughs> It's absolutely impossible. And, and you know what? I think we're meant, we're meant to face adversity. Talked about that first day out in the gloom. Well, you know what? Today could be the day, the first day with health and nutrition for you. And it's not going to be easy. But when you conquer that first day, you're, you're going to prove something to yourself. And then when you pr- conquer the second day and the week and the month and the year, you're going to feel that success and then you're going to go out the door and you're going to go, you know what? I just crushed a 5:30 AM workout and you know what? I've hit my weight goals and you know what? I conquered, I conquered these things that I've been afraid to talk about for a long time. 
I think that it's some something that we're supposed to face. And I think just to, to take that one step further, right, and the idea of, of conquering is, is also, I think, comes along the idea of celebration, right? Cele- celebrate your little wins, even if it's like audibly celebrate sometimes, like make sure it's a point because it, it's just sort of that positive feedback loop for yourself that while we probably don't realize it in the moment, I mean, we all know kind of our, our brain does so much thinking for us and working in the background that that using some of those positive reinforcements, you get your little win, um, give yourself a little fist pump, you know, a little bit of whatever, but, you know, make sure you celebrate those things because it just kind of helps you build that positive momentum in the future. So I would say that's one thing that's kind of, that again, I've kind of been thinking a little bit about is celebrate your wins, give yourself some credit, um, you know, be willing to pat yourself on the back for a job well done, as small as it may seem, it's important. Two things I would say. One is I, I think, really pushing healthy liquids. I, I think uh, they can help to fill you up as well as, you know, I've read, I, I think it's scientifically true, but I'm not sure that sometimes people misperceive thirst as hunger. And when, when they yep. don't reach to eat, they're really thirsty. And, you know, um, I, I'm not a big water person. I've just never really liked water, but I, I drink at a huge amount of tea and, um, and then some black coffee. Um, and, and actually, Coffee is actually good for you. Um, you know, the, the problem with coffee is when you basically turn it into a milk milkshake at Starbucks. But basically, I think, <laughs> you know, a lot of herbal tea, some coffee in the morning, a little bit of water here and there, um, you know, never any soda. And but, you know, I, I'm kind of filling myself up throughout the day with liquid, which obviously, especially now with beatdowns and sweating and everybody knows I sweat like crazy. So part of it's staying hydrated, but it also keeps your stomach full, you know, just having a glass of water before you sit down to, de- to eat can have a good effect on just crowding out a few calories and uh second thing you know as i talked about earlier is you know don't um deprive yourself like you know we've said you know if you if you come up with a million rules you're not going to succeed you're just going to rebel but just really focus on not so much taking things away that mean a lot to you and you know we have to admit food has a lot to do it's wrapped up in emotion and history and family and all but it's really more adding to it saying okay i'm Still going to eat some of these foods that I know aren't all that good for me, but I'm going to really make a real effort as part of that meal to eat fruits and vegetables and whole grains and, and healthy food. And you'll find that over time, those get more and the bad foods get, you know, get less. So, again, I think nothing really works well with deprivation. And on the, on the healthy liquids idea, like just a practical thing, like how many calories can you consume in, just in beer? That's That's one of the easiest things to not even think about like every time i drink one of these it's 200 calories so just you know having some of those simple rules like if it's not a wedding or a special occasion or something like that i, I don't need to be drinking more than two drinks in a day you know <laughs> there's, there's really not a reason for it. It, it i can have something you know like like honey pot was saying it's not a total deprivation thing but just being aware of just the volume of stuff that we're putting in and adding in the good stuff so you know drinking the water in between i think those things can add up over time yeah, these are these are all great thoughts and man, such a great conversation with you guys. Appreciate you joining me today. I, I just want to close with kind of wrapping things up. If I'm gonna I'm gonna try and summarize a little bit that uh, of our discussion, and I think the first things first, we all need to assess where we're at in life and and what our goals are and and what our why is behind why we want to be healthier as well as fit. And, and so to kind of paint that picture for us for the, the future, why do we want to achieve these things? And then to start small. 
you know, pick, pick something that maybe is a low hanging fruit and, and start there. Number three, find someone to be accountable with preferably close to home. You know, we don't have each other going home with us and, and talking our year and Ron us and looking over his shoulder and go, don't order that pizza, Jason. So find, find somebody close to home that can really support you. And, and I'd say lastly, don't give up. We're going to have peaks and valleys, ups and downs. Work on those things this week. And gentlemen, I really, really appreciate your time. Any last words from you guys? Thanks for inviting me. Uh, Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Yep, happy to be a part of it. <laughs>